New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Shagri Syed Sal. She's the author of The Last Nomad, Coming of Age in the Somali Desert. And I'm speaking with Ms. Sal at her home by remote connection. Welcome. May I call you Shagri? Yes, you can call me Shukri. Thank you so much for inviting me here. I wanted to thank this time the New Dimensions and all of the amazing things you guys are doing. I think you are the pulse of what keeps this uh, us, all of us going. And without you, I don't know what we would end up. So thank you for being part of my village and for many other people. And I hope that the, the people continue to support you because without you, you know, our life will not be the same. So thank you so much for the important work for you do. Thank you. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. How did you first become part of a nomadic tradition in the Somali desert in Eastern Africa as a young woman? I think you were six years old at the time. Yeah. You know, I end up in this life because just to give you a quick thing, Justin, I am the daughter of a nomadic mother and a well-educated father. So as my nomadic mother moved to the city with my father, she felt she had to give one of her daughter as a gift of labor to her nomadic mother. But my father held a different view even at that time. He believed that if you educate a daughter, you educate a whole village. But if you educate a son, you only educate it that son. So you can imagine the fight it took over my destiny. My mother was a feisty young woman and she won and she dropped me in the desert to be forever, be a nomadic woman. So that is quite a contrast to this woman who are living today, working in as a nurse, living in the heart of Sonoma County, a little bit hippie compared to the world my mother had imagined for me, which was to be not live with the rest of the family, to not get an education. And when I come of age, I will marry a nomadic man who, if I don't give him sons, will not hesitate to take more wives and uh, God knows what my life would have been. But I'm so grateful that that my life is quite different today, but at the same time, very appreciative of the resilience and the goodness and the wisdom my grandmother imparted me. You come from a long line of storytellers. Your, your grandmother was a poet, uh, was a camel trainer, I mean, which is unheard of for women. She was yeah. a warrior. I think you have heard stories of her actually getting lions to back down. So you come from very, very strong ancestry and storytelling. You work as a nurse and you, you often work as an infusion nurse. So you're you're helping people with their IVs and with their chemotherapy. And you even use storytelling 
to help them through their ordeal. So tell us storytelling, what's importance? Thank you, Justine. It is very important oral traditions still continue, you know, that my grandmother imparted me. And yes, whenever I'm starting IVs uh, to distract patients, I tell them something happening in the desert and then I slip that IV. And yes, I grew up under the shadow of the most fierce nomadic woman I know. And at the time I took it for granted, really, Justine, I taught everybody tamed camel. I taught everybody were a camel herder, but that was unusual. Not only my grandmother was a poet, a well-known poet, and a woman who never put up with a no good husband, but she also looked after um, camels. And camels like uh, Justine, they are not like goats and sheep and or cows. It's not like you heard them during the day and by night come home. Sometimes you are wandering in the desert for weeks and weeks. What that means was my grandmother was in fight with hyenas, lions, you name all snakes, um, scorpion, all the hostility that exists. And my grandmother, I may say, did not die of a wound she received from the nomad. She died of a natural cause in the end. So you can imagine this woman from the get-go learned to tame the desert. And I remember as children, there is a lot of stories of my grandmother. Whenever you are out with the camel, what are you protecting them is from the lioness and hyena. You know, it's not like a fox or the crackles would want to eat a uh, your camel. No, you're afraid those big guys and not just one to bring a camel down. You need a bride of lions to, <laughs> to take down. So she have to fight them off. And I often see and heard so many stories of my grandmother. And I was really at awe of her. And to grow up under that shadow is a privilege and a resilience. She still infused me with bravery, even to this day when I have a difficult thing coming up. So you were young and you were herding goats. Um, you weren't going out into the desert, but staying close to the hut. But I remember that you loved to climb trees or climb a termite hill or whatever it was. And, and you would watch and watch for the return of your grandmother. Yeah. So when I was um, later on, I would end up herding the goats alone. But when I was very young, and that is a responsibility of a lot of youngsters, is to look after the baby goats. And you're not too far from them, and you're doing this. So for me, as a young child, I stay close back. But I enjoy, you know, using my imagination. You know, you're a little girls, and you're looking, climbing a termite mount, and you're climbing trees, and I'm just looking at the desert and was convinced the desert meets <laughs> the sky <laughs> somewhere. You know, I was really taught as a child, if I walk long enough, I will see where the desert meets the sky, only to find out the desert to get farther and farther. You know, there was a time I tried to, obviously I messed up with the warhawks and that almost got me killed, but I survived. And so when you wait for your parent, or my, in my case, my grandmother or my uncle, or I was part of a village too, they will come by the end of everybody, all the families will bring the herds home. You knew it was time to sit by the fire and hear stories and everybody will, you know, will come to the fire. And it, it was beautiful to listen these stories, not only my family, but from other family members as well, you know. 
you didn't have like iPhones or computers or television. Your entertainment and your education was really sitting by the fire. Yeah. The wisdoms were imparted that time. You hear through poetry, we learn. We are the nation of poets. Somalis are known actually a nation of poets. So through poetry, and these poetries are not just uh, talking about the harshness of the land. They are informing us the wars that took place, who won this war, uh, what lion lived where, you know, what tribe did what. So it was a history lesson. And then there is the stories which actually give informations about hyenas, lions. As a child, I knew the hyenas is with a coward one and the lion is with the brave ones, you know. But at the same time, we learn how to get away with each one of them, you know, where to hide, what to do, you know, where do they reside? So there was a lot of wisdoms imparted to this oral tradition of storytelling. There was riddles. There was so much that you learn through that. And and sometimes, like I say, there was a time I was bitten by a snake and my uncle, the first thing he did is chase the snake and find out what the snake it was before he can even remedy me, you know. So they knew how to fix it if somebody broke their legs. They would put your diet high in protein, you know. There were things that they used to do. They make sure you drink a lot of milk. We believe, Somalis, there's nothing camel milk cannot cure. And <laughs> there is some evidence today that's coming out, the benefit of camel milk, actually. So perhaps they were telling the truth. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. Did you do songs around the fire? And do you recall any of those? Yes, we actually did songs by the fire, Justine. And we used to sing for our, um, Han is the, the thing you put milk and turning the milk to yogurt was a process that often you felt the community around you. And I remember sitting by my grandmother being given to my own hand to squish around, right, as a children and just seeing our, our animals like grazing by, it's a good season, everything looks good. This is the season of plenty. And so we will go together. And it goes So it continues. But what this one is saying, my dear Han, you know, did somebody temper with you? You know, when someone licks the milk, and it's actually scientific knowledge, they know that will ruin the milk. Did somebody lick to you? You know, somebody who's kind of hiding. Did somebody temper with you? Did somebody did to you. So we were singing for the hand that was condensing the milk for us. But it was just a communal singing, communal gathering. This was the time we children heard what happened or no good husband that oh, so and so on. Her, her husband is no good or he took another wife. This was the gossip too. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. And I loved hearing, hearing the melody and hearing the melody of the language itself. Yeah. It's such a beautiful language, and I'm so glad that you've been able to retain it and hold it. Your story in your book, I mean, it goes into the Civil War at Somali, and it also talks about your family, your father. He educated 
daughters, which was unheard of yeah, yeah. at the time. And then how you migrated then to Canada at first, and now here you are in Northern California as an RN, a nurse, and married with three yeah. children. And married out of the clan system. You know, I married a man who, you know, he's an Ethiopian. He has his own people to identify with it. But, you know, woven into my story, resilient to triumph, but there's also a story of love and a girl just to live in a teenager. There was a time I was in Mogadishu, you know, dancing with the music, you know, going about my teenager love, you know, watching movies and, and just, you know, me daring to define all of those cultures, misogynistic cultures that was having a grip on me and just leaving that behind. I remember the first time in, in Nairobi when I really loved the Ethiopian guy, not my husband, another Ethiopian guy, knowing that the man in my family would not be happy about it. I created an intricate way to escape from them, you know, where I was like, if the boy's house was the, that side, I went to the opposite <laughs> side to lose them. So they were, they did not know my track, you know, where I was heading to. And so there's a bit of that, just someone being human, you know, yes, there is war, but there's a girl arriving in the city of Nairobi, curious about all of this world, you know, first love and heartbreak, you know, which we all know about that. I'm sure Justine, you had yours too. It's just such a human story. I think um, many of us can identify with that. Absolutely. You've just given us such a lively history of your country of origin and then the country that first received you when you became a refugee and first in Canada and now here in the U.S. in California. And we're just so thankful that you're here telling your story, passing them on, and being a new citizen of your own background and, yeah. and breaking the chain. You know, there's a funny story of, you know, sometimes some people, you know, they, they hear your accent or they see you and they think, okay, maybe this nurse doesn't know what she's doing. And I remember one time I was starting an IV of this guy and he was kind of being impatient and I don't know what he was issued, but he asked me where I got my education from. And I told him while I was looking after my goats um, and yeah, I was in the desert. I got my education in the desert, you know, my, I practice on the elephants and, you know, like my animals and you, my second or the third victim. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> and there's so many amazing people who said, oh my God, you know, I'm so thankful you are our nurse and working this crazy pandemic time to save our lives. I was working early in pandemics, like 12, 13 hours to the point that I had gotten really very sick and almost died because really one can work themselves to death. So, you know, I am here now. I am California person. I am of, of you guys now. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine my life being any other place but here. I'm very grateful for all of the goodness and new dimension is all of the opportunity that's been offered to me. Thank you so much. And I hope this program continues and people continue to support you guys. I'm so thankful. Thank you so, so much. We are just so appreciative and grateful that you are part of our village now. Yes, Thank yes, you yes, so yes, much. Yes, Thank yes. you so much. I've been speaking with 
Shagri Syed Sal. She's the author of The Last Nomad, Coming of Age in the Somali Desert. And I've been speaking with her at her home by remote connection. To find out more about her work, go to shagrisal.com. She spells her name S-H-U-G-R-I. Her last name S-A-L-H. Shagrisal.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you to join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.